0: this evening. I'm excited to study together with you. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 again. You want to get out your Bibles and be turning with me to Colossians chapter 3. Last time in our study uh, in Colossians, we went through the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3. Uh, and, and we started to to notice the transition that Paul had going from a discussion all about Christ and, and all that Christ has done to, to the response that God wants from us, that God desires for all those who have been raised with Christ to seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And, and he goes on and he talks about how Christ is supposed to be our life, that our minds are supposed to be set on the things that are above, the the spiritual things that we have in this life to deal with. Uh, But he didn't give a whole lot of detail in the first four verses. He just made this profound point that Christ has to be our life. Our life is hidden in Christ, and when He appears in glory, we're going to be with Him in heaven. As we continue in Colossians chapter 3, we start to understand a little bit more about what Paul has in mind, about the spiritual things that the Christians are supposed to seek after uh, in their lives. And I'd like to start by reading uh, verses 5 through 11. Where the lesson will be coming from this, this evening. He says, "...put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires After the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. So now Paul starts to develop this idea that we're supposed to seek things that are above. And he contrasted that by saying not things on the earth. And and his first approach is going to be to discuss the things that are on this earth. And notice how Paul talks about the things that are on this earth. Notice his attitude. He says, put to death what is earthly inside of you. As Christians, we're not really supposed to be violent people. It's not uh, in the nature of uh, Christ on the earth that he was this violent person who was acting violently and we're commanded to to show love and and gentleness, and we're going to see that later on. But notice... We are commanded to be violent in this text. He's telling us to kill something, (laughs) to attack it, to, to beat it to death, to get rid of it, to stab it to death. He's telling us to attack this. What is it that he's telling us to attack? He says, what is earthly inside of us. He said, put to death what is earthly inside of you. Kill it. Do not let it live. And then in the the remainder of the text, he discusses what exactly is earthly inside of us, why we need to put what is earthly inside of us to death, and how we can go about doing that. And that's going to be what our study will look like as we study together this evening. So first of all, let's understand what he says. What is exactly earthly in us? What, what does He mean when He says what is earthly in you? He gives us uh, two lists, and he, and he gives us a third thing in, in, in verse 9. So a list in verse 5, a list in verse 8, and, and another thing in verse 9. The first list is sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which He calls idolatry. This is an interesting list that Paul would give to Christians in Colossae. Uh, These are are Christians, and and yet he's telling them, put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality is where he starts, right? The brazen uh, outward action of uh, committing some kind of a sexual act with someone outside of the marriage relationship and the marriage covenant. He points that out and then he goes into other things and he says impurity. That is doing something that just simply defiles or makes you impure, makes, removes your purity, removes your righteousness, removes your holiness. Uh, passion, the drive, the desire for something, evil desire. So it's, an, it's a desire for something that is earthly. And then he says covetousness at the end. And, and he adds a description, which is idolatry? Covetousness is an interesting thought because this is kind of summarizing or talking about the, the root of the problem in all of these other things that he's mentioning here. Covetousness is a desire to place something in the spot where God is supposed to be in our lives. It's replacing God with some thing. And it is the essence of earthliness. He's telling us, put away what is earthly inside of us. And He's saying, don't covet or don't desire something that is on this earth more than you desire God. In the Old Testament, we had the Ten Commandments, which clearly said, do not covet your neighbor's wife, do not covet your neighbor's house, do not covet your neighbor's animal, do not covet, do not covet. Don't desire something that belongs to someone else so much that your desire is greater than your desire to obey God and do God's will. And so here he points to covetousness and he, he gives us a description of it, which is idolatry. And that's fascinating because in the Old Testament, those two things are separated. Uh, but really, whenever we get down to the root of all of these things that he's talking about, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, idolatry, it's all about covetousness. It's all about our, our desire, our drive for something that is not God to give us the things that God is supposed to be giving us. So what does covetousness look like in our lives? This is something he says that is earthly, that is that is in us, that is in the Colossians, and that we also can see sometimes is in us as well. Well, what would that look like? Well, we can actually covet a lot of things that aren't forbidden. We can covet uh, food. Well, you might say, well... I, I need food to live. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with food. Food is good. God created it to be consumed with thankfulness, and, and that's that's a good thing. But if we think of food as our source of fulfillment and satisfaction, like fulfillment is what my life uh, this food is what my life is all about. And I'm I'm going to the East Food and that those two places, and my whole life is about getting the best food in my mouth. As much as possible. That's it. That is my one thing. I'm coveting it. I mean, we can covet anything. If that's, if that's what covetousness is, if it is making it the one thing that matters more than anything, that we're willing to forsake God to pursue it. So that means that covetousness can be... We can covet fame and, and become boastful and become proud. We can covet success and we can become selfishly ambitious to succeed in this life and just setting God aside to pursue our success we can covet money and become greedy and become abusive and we can covet pleasure and that's how we become fornicators when we make this our life we're coveting it and it's becoming our idol And this is what Paul is telling us. He's saying these things that are not bad in and of themselves, God has created these things to be enjoyed, can be evil if we desire them more than we desire God. In doing these things, we are breaking the first command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. We're breaking the first command. And we're we're pursuing earthly things in the place of our Heavenly Father who wants to be a a huge part of our lives and giving us the fulfillment and the satisfaction that He desires to give us that, that will make us full, fully satisfied. The second list is found in verse 8, and here he mentions anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. These things also are kind of related in that anger kind of seems to be the root of of all of this. You've got wrath, the outburst of anger. You've got malice, the the desire for something bad to happen toward somebody else or or some uh, ill thoughts toward people, slander, speaking bad about them, obscene talk is disgusting or offensive talk. And he says all of these things are earthly as well. They need to be put to death. They need to be killed. As well, they need to be on our hit list of things to wipe out. Well, if anger is at the root of that, then we need to be thinking about anger as something that is not okay for us to keep inside of us. This is something that is earthly, uh, that is not a good thing for us to have. Now, it's not necessarily always that way, but notice it results in all these bad things and and. Anger is really just an emotional response we have to being mistreated or to things not going our way. It's it's perfectly normal. It's perfectly natural. But the problem comes whenever we have a little reservoir of anger that, that we keep and we're not able to dissolve the anger so that the anger becomes wrath, becomes malice, becomes slander, becomes obscene talk, becomes mistreatment and and thinking negatively and badly about other people. Anger can be uh, an earthly thing that, that kills our relationships with those around us. You know, it's interesting, the world around us might say, if you're angry, just don't let that stuff bottle up. Just let it out, right? They tell us to do these things, right? Uh, it's not healthy to store all this stuff. You've got to let it out as though that's the solution. But the solution that God gives us is let it go. Don't let it out. Let it go. Let our angry feelings dissolve. Uh, they might encourage us to express it, but really... What we're trying to do whenever we express our anger and wrath and malice and all these things, is we're trying to fix the problem of those around us. We're trying to help them to change and to be what they ought to be. Or, or we're trying to balance the scales and make things better. But has anybody ever had that work for you <laughs> when you're angry? I mean, typically what we do is, instead of making things better and creating a change in other people, by trying to control them, we end up pushing them away, and we end up doing things that make us guilty of wrong. And we end up breaking the second greatest commandment, which is to love our neighbor as ourself. So here we see that Paul is giving us this understanding that... We need to be aware of our anger and and think about why do we get angry? What is it that, that we're thinking about ourselves that pushes us to the point where we're willing to get angry at others? Are we thinking more of ourselves than we ought to think? that we might be offended so, uh, and, and think that we can justify uh, wrathful behavior or something like that. What's going on? And there's something earthly inside of us. And he says, it's not good to keep that. We need to kill it. Don't just try, but kill it. Get rid of it. And then he says in verse 9, to put away lying. He says, uh, do not lie to one another. Well, this is interesting because it, it just adds to the previous list. We think about uh, the problems that we have of covetousness. We think about the problems that we have of getting angry. And then we think about, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't have those problems. Uh, you know, we, if we see that in us, then we might be tempted to ignore that. Or we might be tempted to hide that. We might be tempted to say that I'm not, I'm not really, I'm doing a good job. I'm really loving the Lord with all my heart. and I'm really loving my neighbor as myself. I mean, why do people lie? Is it not because they've done something wrong and they want to cover it up? It's essentially what we're doing. We're lying to either get something that we really want or we're lying to cover up uh, what we've done wrong. You see, covetousness and all the different ways that it shows itself in our life and, and the self-serving attitude of, and having all this anger and stuff, trying to control people and manipulate people, these are our little pets. <laughs> these give us some level of satisfaction on this earth. They fulfill us on some level. And we don't want to let them go. So what do we do? We, we lie about our situation and we see in Jesus' day that the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were really good at hiding what was earthly in them as they appeared very spiritually minded. And here Paul's saying, we need to kill lying as well. We need to stop acting like we are really good and righteous that we can somehow hide that from men and, and also hide that from God when in our hearts there is covetousness and there is idolatry and there is anger and wrath toward other people. Paul says, put to death all these things. Well. This is hard. (laughs) This is a lot of work. Uh, To put to death all these things. I mean, to stop desiring anything else more than I desire God. To get all of that stuff out of my life. To get rid of all the angry outbursts and all the things that have built up in me. I mean, it's going to be this long and tedious process. And I don't even know uh, if it's worth all the effort. Well, Paul gives us some reasons why we must do this. Uh, you know, It may not seem like that good of a, an idea because it's a lot of work. Well, Paul says three things that help us to see why we need to do this. First of all, he tells us that because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In verse 6 he says, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. You, you think about this. We have broken the two greatest commands. When we're doing these things, these are the two main greatest commands. It's interesting that that's the way Jesus summarizes all of the law and the prophets, that these two commands are it. When we look throughout the New Testament and we try to find out what what is right and what is wrong, we see these same ideas being paralleled over and over again because they're critical. They're at the foundation of everything. And as much as God has given to mankind in blessing us with this earth and everything that's in it, and in blessing us with a son who is is perfect and we killed him, but still willing to use his blood to forgive us, I think we can say that God is justified in bringing about wrath. Now, I know that the world around us doesn't think that's the case. We, We look around us and we see everybody saying, well, there's... There's no way God would judge me. I'm a good person. There's no way that God would bring about His wrath against me. But they don't don't take any of these things serious. They think it's acceptable to live a sexually immoral, materialistic, self-serving life that's full of covetousness, that's replacing God with all these earthly things. And they think they're okay to speak offensive words against other people. But God considers continually living in this lifestyle and pursuing these things to be rebellion against Him. That's what He tells us. He says this is this is rebellion. And in the Old Testament, He showed us clearly by judging nations for doing these things. The wrath of God is against all those who refuse to love Him. And who refuse to love their fellow man. And He is just in doing that. But we might think, well, it's against all those sons of disobedience. We're safe. We have the blood of Christ. Well, the way Paul words this here, he's, he's telling us, we need to kill these earthly things in us because the wrath of God is coming on all those who live this way. And judgment begins with the house of the Lord. It, it begins with us. We have to put these things to death because we will be judged... Based on our love for God and our love for our fellow man as well. And it's not that we're going to live perfectly righteous lives or anything like that. We just read in verses 1 through 4 to study that last week. Christ is our lives. We are hidden with Christ in God. But God desires for us to be different. He wants to see a change that results from His grace and His salvation. And this is his second point in this text, in verse 10. In verse 9 and 10, he said, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You see, he's pointing us to the idea that God has changed us. He said that back in chapter 2. He, he put us to death and cut off the body of flesh, and then we were raised to walk in newness of life. And in chapter 3 earlier, he said, You have died. Our will was supposed to be put to death when we submitted to God in baptism. That old self is supposed to be gone. But do you ever feel that old self creeping his way back in? The old ways, the old habits, the the coveting after something that's new and shiny, and, and the, the, the coveting after things that, that are going to really fulfill us this time, really make us happy. Do you ever feel that? And, and maybe the, the desire to angry, uh, get angry and outburst and correct somebody and control them in a way that's not fitting. Do you ever feel those things coming up inside of you? Yeah. This is why Paul says... Put to death those things. He's talking to Christians and saying, this is our life now. We are constantly killing the old self, the old will, the self-serving will that keeps rising up inside of us as we live on this earth. All the earthly things that pop up inside of us, we're seeking to put to death because we don't want those things to rule our hearts. Because we love God. We don't love this world. We're a different person. The old self is dead. It wants to come back, but it's dead. We're new people. We've been changed. We've experienced the love of God in our lives. And that makes us radically different than who we used to be. I'm not who I used to be. If we go back to those who we knew in high school and we see them today, they're not going to see the same person. They're not going to see the same person on the inside as who we used to be if we weren't saved at that point. There is supposed to be a progression of change inside of us because our will has changed from doing what we want to doing what God wants. And if we want to do what God wants, that means the things we used to want, we don't want anymore. And we're not, we're not seeking after those things to fulfill us, to make us happy. Those things mean little to us. Because we've been given something so much greater. This is the third reason why we want to kill what is earthly inside of us. We've been given Christ. Christ. Christ has to be everything to us. You, you read verse 11 again. <clears throat> he says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, city and slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. You know, there was a time when we were like everyone else on this earth. There, there was a time when we were classified under this group of people, so we lived this way. But whenever we... Understood the truth, and whenever we submitted to death, we, we came to this recognition we're all really essentially the same. We're all coveting things to, to replace God and we're all serving ourselves with all these outbursts and things. We're all doing things for ourselves and we're lying about how good we are. And we're, we're understanding this is the way we all are. It doesn't matter where I'm from. It doesn't matter what I look like. It doesn't matter uh, where I've been or grown up or anything like It doesn't matter who, who I've been before. We all fall into this same category. That we're all sinners. Unworthy of, of the God who loves us. But instead of desire, desiring all those things, we found something better. You know, we want to make whatever it is our all. We want to make it everything. We want to make it ultimate in this life. And we run into these things that we think are going to find fulfillment in. But Paul has pointed out throughout this letter, Christ is everything. Christ is it. Christ is God who has come down to earth. Who is the creator and provider of every single thing we need in order to have a relationship with God for all eternity. And what He has shown us and what He has provided with us with is an image of our Creator that we can fully understand and see how much He loves us, how righteous, how good He is, how wonderful He is. And we can learn about Him enough to become more like Him in this life. So we see why we need to make this change. Why we need to kill what is earthly inside of us. We don't want the wrath of God on us. That's that—that's the worst thing that we could possibly have. We don't want that. We want to be different than we used to be. And we want to make Christ our everything. So this is how we do it. We put to death what is earthly. Well, okay. But how do I do that, really, in my life? How do I put to death the earthly things inside of me? How do I stop all these covetousness desires? How do I minimize those? It, it may happen to me throughout my life because I'm living on the earth and there's problems that I'm going to make, mistakes I'm going to make, but how do I stop it from being so much? And how do I stop the angry outbursts? How do I How do I kill these things? First of all, Paul throughout this section is pointing us to the fact that this is really a heart problem. We're not going to get uh, to the root of this by focusing on our outer behaviors. Uh, by, by chopping off all the branches, we're not going to kill this tree. We have to cut it off at the roots. We have to put it to death. He doesn't say, try to stop doing those things. He says, kill those things. Kill covetousness. Desire in your heart nothing but God. <clears throat> and kill the self-serving attitude. We can't just focus on modifying our behavior because none of that works. If we, if we focus on the outer, we're never going to get to the root of the problem and we're just going to lie about the fact that we're making all these mistakes because our heart desires those things. Inside, we really want to be covetous. We really want to, to serve ourselves. Our heart is seeking after what is earthly and it's lying to itself to get it. We have to address the heart problem. This is the source of everything. This is, this is Israel's problem. You look at the Old Testament, what does it say about them? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. We have to admit, the problem is not something external to me. It's not what other people are doing or the pressures that I'm receiving. The problem is my heart. The problem is me, that I don't love God as I ought to. My old self keeps rising up all the time because I let Him rise up. Because I'm not filling my life with spiritual things and seeking the things that are above. Instead, I'm seeking the things that are of this earth with my heart. If we can admit that we have this problem, this is halfway to the, the solution. We want to lie to ourselves. If we just say to ourselves, I have a serious heart problem here. I need to change. We're halfway there. The other half of the problem, he tells us, in this text as well, is in verse 10. Do you notice that? He, he says... Uh, have been have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. How do we put off and kill the earthly things that are in us? Well, we have to submit to a, a renewal process. He says we're renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. That's a pretty interesting, profound statement for us. We're renewed in knowledge after the image of our Creator. We have to submit our lives to studying and knowing the Word of God. This is the way we get renewed. This is the way we grow. This is the way we change. The outer becomes affected by the inner change of being renewed in knowledge. We take in this information and it affects our minds and it affects our hearts. We come to know more about God. And the more we know God, the more we love God. The more I'm studying, the more I'm like crying as I sing the songs about who God is. Because He's amazing. He's done so much. Blessed us so much more than we deserve. And we just, we we have a mechanism. We're searching to find fulfillment in this life. We have a mechanism for having all the fulfillment that we ever need. Right here, and it's not that big, and it's everything we could possibly need. We know this, we know God, and we understand and we we find out who God is. We learn Him on a deeper level as He relates to His people, and we learn also about ourselves. The more we understand about our faults, the harder it becomes for us to be angry with one another. The more we study, the more we realize how messed up we are. If, we, if we're honest with the, tr- the truth in the Scriptures, we see our problems, then we look out at somebody who's struggling or making mistakes, who offends us or mistreats us, and we don't think angry thoughts. We think differently. This is a process of making Christ our all in all. Killing what is earthly inside of us. Killing our covetousness. Killing our anger. Killing our lying. And loving God and loving Christ more than anything else. So throughout this text, Paul insists that we kill off whatever earthly desires creep in after we're saved. After we're raised to walk in newness of life. This is what our life is about. We're putting to death what is earthly in us. And we're we're refusing to go into that continual rebellion because we're having a different heart. We're not letting our hearts become uh, corrupted by the earth and by the worldly things and the worldly people that are around us. We're resisting those things and we're putting up a wall against those things to pursue Christ, to pursue being like Him, To pursue glorifying God who loves us so much. We become radically different by dying to ourselves, living for God, and learning about Him. This is the Christian life. Is it going to be easy? Well, no. Is it going to be worth it? Absolutely. When we come to Christ, He gives us all the satisfaction and fulfillment that we need to get to heaven when this life is over. Our lives will be hidden in Christ and Christ will be our life for all eternity. Have you put on Christ? Is He your everything? If not, will you consider doing that today? Make a change. Don't be the same old you. Be somebody else. Be who God wants us to be. If you need to come forward, please come as we stand and sing.